1: Hi, welcome back to AusViz Live from our Brangaroo studios. Great to have you company for the call. 10 stocks picked by you. I put them to two experts. We do it in one hour. The birds are singing, the sun is shining, and the markets are up. So where are all the naysayers? Let's see if we've got them here. Scott Phillips <coughs> from Motley Fool. Good afternoon to you, nice Scott. Here. Mark Morland Good from Team Invest. How are you? Excellent, thank you. Um, Scott, what's your, what's your read on the markets at the moment?
0: Yeah, you're right, my sun singing birds are shining and the banking sector is potentially facing collapse. No, not really. (laughs) Um, Look, it's it's a really tough one, mate. I I think, you know, we can point fingers at what hasn't happened up to this point. The problem you got is two things, right? You got before today and then today. Uh, I, I don't think anyone would look back and say the US regulators did a good enough job regulating US banks. I think they rolled back some regulation in 2018, which was a disaster. We know that now, it's probably always coming. So you kind of go, okay, well, what did we do wrong then? That's a long story. You'd hope we'd learn from it, although maybe the lesson of the past is that we don't learn from it. Um, regulators have done a really, really good job keeping Silicon Valley Bank from uh, you know, being the first domino to fall, keeping Credit Suisse from being the next domino to fall. They've yeah. done a really good job. You know, they've, they've managed to hold back the floodwaters. Whether it can be done consistently if this continues is an open question. The only thing they've got to do is continue or restore confidence. That's literally it, right? Everything yeah. else, all the funding stuff, the funding won't be needed, if the confidence is retained, how do you get the confidence back? You promise the funding. So yeah. it's a bit of a it's a bit of a you know round robin kind of thing. So far, the regulator's doing a really good job. Uh, I, I think it'd be brave yeah. to say that Credit Suisse is the last uh, potential risk to the financial system, but we'll get through it.
1: Yeah, Mark, how's your idea? Because all of a sudden, times like this, I saw a um, a chart the other day that showed where the Australian or where the S and P five hundred is now. And where it was just before the global financial crisis, just before 1973, oh, yeah. and exactly the same pattern, except we're just about to fall off a cliff. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And,
2: and, and the problem is, you can easily it's come all up psychology, with psychology. It is, but you can also come up with evidence to rationalise either position. You can say we're yep. all going to be, we're all doomed, and we're right. going to have a much bigger crash than we had in '08. They could, be, in fact, Jim Rickards has got a video out today saying it's on Wednesday at 2pm.
1: Oh right! And
2: I thought, wow. Get now, out! I, I suspect that is when the Fed rate coming next rates oh, coming right, out. Yes, I haven't listened to the end of it, but yeah, 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 hear yeah. what the Rationalise. Uh, New York time. Yeah. Yeah. And they're basically arguing there are all these patterns in the past. Whenever so they do the fourth one. It- <laughs> it's all over yep. and, and look it, it might be when I say all over it just means that if that's true we're going to have some fantastic buying opportunities from my point of view right, the other side right. of it is if you look at what they've done with bailing out uh, silicon Bank and the way they very very quickly have dealt with um, uh, credit suisse as yep. well and yep. anyway they are already putting liquidity back into the market so right. you could argue the tightening quantitative tightening's already gone into reverse now or they're right. sort of doing it as well as putting money in like take right. yeah take money yeah, yeah, out yeah, yeah. but the point is they've already declared their hand and their hand is they're going to stop things dropping yeah so, therefore, even if something does happen in another big bank or something, let's say something happens that spooks the market, I reckon it'll be a very short opportunity. Short, shot Because they'll, they'll come in okay. and, uh, with liquidity. That's what they've done oh, every God. other time. And there's an election coming up. I don't think there's any other thing they would do. Wouldn't, would do. So, the problem is I don't, I don't subscribe to the narrative that we're going to go into a 10-year bear market. Right. I think we could have a significant drop probably. Yeah, this sometime this year, yep. and I think it'll be really quick, just like it was in COVID. Right? Yeah, we okay. went down. Yeah, the government yeah. started chewing on the taps, and we shot straight back up again. Right. Okay. All
1: that's right. that's my bit. But look, and some good buying opportunities. That's right. <laughs> All right, let's take a look at the stocks that uh, you want us to take a look at this <coughs> half hour: Fertiles, uh Appium Animal Health, Australian Vintage, Babcorp, and New Farm. Uh, stock of the day, Instec Pivot out this morning. Shares are up after it sold its US ammonia manufacturing facility for $2.5 billion. Sale in line with Instec's restructuring plan. It'll set aside about $425 million uh, dollars from the deal um, for a long-term ammonia offtake agreement. Scott, what did you think of, uh, think of the deal? right thing to do, and what do you think of Instec Pivot shares at these levels? Of-
0: yeah, Koshia, it looks it like, looks like the market likes the deal. I think it's probably pretty fair. It suggests maybe that uh, this is a good time to be selling these kind of businesses. If you look back at text profitability, uh, it looks pretty cheap, but I think you're going to get a, a one-off spike on some of this stuff. And I think, uh, look, I'm, what I am fascinated by, mate, is they're prepared to make this sale. Most businesses are looking to grow, empire, build all that kind of stuff. I'm generally pretty positive when a company, unless they're in financial stress or something else is going on, when they choose to sell some assets, because it really says... Everything's for sale. We're not just building the empire for the sake of it. We're going to buy when it's cheap. We're going to sell when we think we're getting a good price for it. So I'm generally uh, likely to to see a a sale favorably, generally speaking. Um, Now, again, there's always exceptions. Uh, the, The stock itself looks cheap on the fundamentals. The problem is we know that last time, last year I'm looking here, 53 odd, 54 cents a share. The year before that, under 20. In fact, they've only been over 20 cents a share three times in the last 10 years. And so you've got a really interesting analysis to try and perform here of how how long is it likely to deliver those sort of numbers or are we going to fall back to something more reasonable? So I like the sale, I don't mind the company. It doesn't look particularly cheap, doesn't look particularly expensive to me right now. Okay, so if you're in a holder, but... I reckon, yeah, I mean, yeah. again, with a, with, a, with probably a tick for management. Yeah. Um, again, what they do with that capital is remains to be seen. Yeah. That's always the second part of it. like Like individual investors selling, right? It's one thing to say, I'm going to sell shares in yeah. that company. Well, where are we going to put the money? You've got to be right twice. So uh, yeah. a, a tick in the box, but a, a question mark over what comes next.
1: Good time to have money in the bank, I reckon, Mark. I think,
0: uh, I think so. <laughs> what do you think? Uh stick. Pivot's been a
2: mediocre business right. for a long, long time. Mm. And in fact, if you look at their uh, EPS growth, it was, it was flat and then flat between 2013 and 2018. Uh, slight down bias and then it dropped down a fair bit then it was flat down a bit lower and then it's jumped right up in 21 and 22 so the earnings right. at the moment uh, have been high and out, uncharacteristic for the company Right. Uh, their sales have gone up a bit as well in the last year but not as much so they are making some more money it's on a 5.9 PE at the moment so I, I think it is pretty cheap actually it's not a company that we'd like and the reason it fails our field is, is on stability Right. it's got about 54% stability of earnings growth right. and we like 80 uh, percent, right? Minimum, okay. minimum 60, yep. but 80 or better. So it can be. a goes bit all over the place. Well, it is all over the place. Yeah, is the answer. Yep. So, but look, it, it's not paying an 8.7 percent dividend. Mm. So uh, that's, that's not bad in this market. And uh, as you just discussed, they've made a sale. I'm not familiar with the details of that. So whether they're going to do a special dividend as part of that, I don't know, or yep. whatever. But they might,
1: you know. So, yep. Yep. but I wouldn't sell it if I held it. Right. And I got hold for you as yeah, well. Yeah, I reckon. Uh, 8.8 and 3 yeah. quarter percent dividends, pretty good too. Um, mm. Let's get in the stocks here. want us to take a look at. And Jeremy, uh, by coincidence, wants us to look at Fertiles, which is, as the uh, name suggests, is in the fertiliser market, organic fertilisers in North America and Australia, uh, phosphate exploration and development. Uh, Mark? Uh, it's,
2: I. I don't think it has ever made any money, <laughs> so it's been a loser forever. Right. Uh, just Just checking. I'm just before I say yeah. that. Um, after it, after it listed, it sort of dropped right down to bigger losses, and it, its it, its losses have been increasing again over the last couple of uh, years. So, um, sales have been growing at about twelve percent. So they've got sales, but they don't seem to be able to make any money. So I don't right. know what, I, it's it, last year it lost thirty um, percent on return on equity, which means basically losing about 30% right. of their capital at the moment of their uh, equity per year. Uh, I, w- I don't know why you'd go near it personally. Okay. It's only got 36 million market cap too, so it's yeah. very small and it's probably illiquid. Looks
1: pretty illiquid as well. Uh, Scott?
0: Yeah, no, not for me. Uh, if it's not gonna make any money over the last eight or so years on my numbers to Mark's point, and you don't wonder where it's gonna finally make some money, uh, it, you know, it, it's, it's one of those situations you are literally hoping against hope or maybe hoping against history and you know, seeing some sort of future where this company all of a sudden makes a, a small fortune, it's very, very unlikely to do so. We've seen uh, eight years of losses. This is a $40 million market cap business. Uh, those sort of things are not good probability bets. Again, maybe this is the one that proves the rule, uh, but realistically, you don't want to be looking at these sort of companies. Generally speaking, we've just talked, as you said, about Instech Pivot. You say, well, which, if, if, I, if I like the industry, where am I going to place my chips? Yeah. You're probably going to choose Fertoz. Uh, Maybe management could turn it around. Maybe they're one big deal, one big customer, one big something away from success. Maybe scale does eventually uh, turn it profitable. Lots of what ifs, that one. No, I'd sell and put my money somewhere else.
1: All right. Uh, Colin wants to know, would you put your money, Scott, in Appium Animal Health? Uh, Colin says it's been sold down heavily but has increased margins and uh, was profitable recently, started in 98. It's a whole series of, of veterinary clinics right around the country. They start in Bendigo um, and um, in that wholesale logistics area, they've got some studs and things like that. What do you think of Appium?
0: I think this is a really interesting company. So you've got the, it's basically a veterinary business broadly or, or, or yeah. primarily with, as you say, the animal stud, the stock feed, you know, at veterinary products, retail, as well as part of that. I don't love roll ups, generally speaking, but there are always exceptions that prove the rule. We'll talk about another company towards the end, of the end of the program today that's done it really, really successfully. So you want to be a little bit careful because there's plenty of failures in this space. And it comes down to whether or not you can actually genuinely grow scale by rolling these things up. Whether you're adding to it i was listening to uh, mark your recommendation from the other week the book the university of berkshire hathaway um where buffett's talking about the acquisition they made of van tile the car dealership and bus says look there's no scale here there, there is no scale advantage of opening more each individual unit will have to pull its own weight the scale benefits are, are reasonably modest and i think that's probably true here now a couple of things profit fell and then it started to recover quite nicely so that's looking pretty good 12 times earning not particularly demanding couple of watchouts. The first is the share count continues to increase has most years, I think over the last five or six years, probably directly as a result or indirectly at least, return on equity continues to fall. So you've got a business whose fundamentals at a profit line look good, but at a return on equity share count, and then potentially long-term growth is a big question mark. How much of that is being funded by effectively share dilution acquired growth? How much is organic really, really hard to tell from a long-term perspective. So I like the price, I don't mind the industry. Mm. I think it's well worth watching. I'm not convinced yet that we've seen how this plays out. I'm reminded, I don't wanna I don't want to cast dispersions, but G8 Education did a wonderful job of growing top and bottom line while massively growing share count until it all fell over. Um, again, doesn't mean Appium needs to follow in this particular footsteps, but right now you look at the numbers, the falling hour is the one that really worries me. I, I think you want to be very, very careful about a business that can't grow its profitability on a per share basis and on the basis of the equity it has in its business. Now, those equity numbers can be can be um, not not fiddle, uh, but you know that they, they are acquiring intangibles, for example, boost your boost your reported equity, your paper equity, without realistically growing your tangible assets. So maybe there's an argument to say this is understating that return on equity for those reasons. Um, I can't buy it at this price. I wouldn't sell it at this price. Um, maybe a little bit more time. You want to see it stabilise and get better organic growth. Uh, otherwise, you're probably risking overpaying for uh, some uh, acquisition masks, uh, fundamental underperformance.
1: Okay, but if you're in it, you'd hold it. Just wouldn't I think so. Mate. It's, there's, yeah.
0: there's, no, there's no clear burning platform here. The yeah. price is, is pretty attractive or at least inexpensive. I don't. Want, I don't think you'd rush out of it. And again, if you own it, you probably have a, have a view on that on that yes. growth and that story. Yeah. Maybe you believe in that. Uh, I, I don't think it's evident yet that it's a long-term winner, but it may well be. So I wouldn't be rushing away.
1: Okay, Mark. Uh, it's
2: only 101 market uh, mill market cap, too, right. so it's pretty small. Uh, that's sort of. I'm not saying we don't invest in 100 million. We, some members will. Uh, generally, uh, it's too small for Team Invest generally because right. we've got. The group has got about $3 billion right. investors, so yep. if everybody wants to buy a $100 million company, it's going to be a $400 million company by right. yeah, <laughs> yeah, the time yeah, they yeah, buy into yeah, it, yeah, so yeah. it yeah. tends not to work. Having said that, uh, it fails our filters anyway, so the return on equity is six. And return on capital is four point six. We have a minimum of ten yep. percent. And it looks like it's always been like that. I think it's had one year in 2017 where it got up to eleven. Right. So it's not getting a good return on their capital. I agree with what Scott said about roll ups. My experience with roll ups has been they usually end in tears. Yep. And the main reason is you're buying a private company, like a small it's the vet mm. business or something, yep. and then you bring it into a publicly mm. listed Yep. Uh, framework which is all is much much more regimented than regimented than they used to and they lose autonomy. Right. So they become an employee and it tends, right. people then suddenly become unhappy. Yeah. And then it affects performance and then the good people leave. Anyway. Because we've had it, insurance brokers. There's been heaps of them. dentists card was one that was engineers. Yes. The uh, the yeah. there was op- one was, was a disaster, a yep. vision group that was a shocker. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it start they look they look good for a while while they're acquiring companies. Right. And you talked about I think Scott mentioned G eight. Yeah. When G8 came in they said they weren't going to do what uh, 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 um, that uh, ABC did. Was right, it ABC yeah. that was the one that went yeah, broke? Yeah yeah. So. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they weren't going to pay over the odds, and then of course, what happened? They immediately started paying more and more because yeah. they had to, because it was more competitive right. to be able to buy these businesses. And the more you pay, and that was yeah. okay when interest rates were really, really low, but now they're not. All of that augurs for challenges. The yes. business hasn't done well over time anyway. We're showing it returning negative 2% a year oh, okay. on its past performance. So right. I wouldn't even be as patient
1: as Scott. Okay. All right. Um, Mark, Peter wants a view on Australian vintage. And Peter's saying is it time to start sipping or is it a value trap? The old McGuigan wines, but they are in Brosser Valley Wine Company, Nepenthe, Tempest 2. Um, a wine group that has never really got into China. It's big markets, uh, being Europe and the UK. Oh, that's a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, it is. <laughs> so, you know, every, yeah. they were marked yeah. down for years yeah. because, yeah. oh, you haven't cracked China. And they took the view, well, no, we don't want to go in China. We'll go into more stable markets. Yeah, well,
2: um, you know, they missed... Yeah, a big growth opportunity short term yes. That's become a uh, hangover, hasn't yeah, it, for a right. lot of people. Uh, well, I, I've never looked at this company before. It actually, Return on Equity and Return on... Capital a bit below our ten percent, so it fails on that. that's why we've never looked at it. Uh, it's about 130 mil market cap, so it's also fairly yep. small. It's on a 5.6 PE, so at the bottom of the green for them, yep. and they it it's never has a high PE. The red is 10 plus, so it's about it's down the bottom end of its normal trading range. Right. How, having said that, the earnings growth has been pretty good uh, since 2016. It's been very solid, and it's got a 30. 38% uh, EPS growth rate average with 92% stability, their sales though, have only been growing at 3.5. Yeah. So what that says is they have been very, very good at converting the revenue or what's basically fairly slow revenue growth into uh, earnings. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. And uh, So apart from the fact that it fails return on equity, we're showing it returning about 16% a year over the next five years on on a margin of safety, which is our more conservative right. figures, so it looks pretty good. Okay, so but it fails on return on equity, right. so we wouldn't buy it. You it's, wouldn't buy. it. I'm just saying it looks pretty good other than that.
0: Okay, uh, Scott, I don't mind this one, Koshi. I've got to say, for the reasons Mark's talked about, this is this is pretty inexpensive, and a business that if you buy a business for seven times earnings, it actually doesn't decline. Doesn't have to grow much, uh, mm. and you'll do you'll do very nicely. You I do spectacularly well. This is. Uh, It feels more like a Warren Buffett, sort of cigar butt idea than than some sort of multi bagger over really long periods of time. There's probably a price you'd sell it for. It's probably, I don't know, 30, 40% above this if you got that just because you'd look at it and say, okay, I bought an 80 cent dollar, now worth a bark time to go. It's not the sort of business you're gonna hold for the long term because of expected outperformance, at least based on history. So I can't add much more from that perspective. I, I do worry a little bit about the continued wine oversupply risks in Australia. Um, at a fundamental industry level, we know we've always had too much uh, wine, too many grapes, frankly, for what's going and what's available. I own shares and treasury wine estates for full disclosure, but what they've done well over the last couple of years, they pretty much said, okay, well, mass, mass production is mass production. We'll do what we have to there. We're going to make our money on the really, really expensive stuff. I'm going to jack price up and jack them up hard. And they've done exactly that. Yeah. So their success has come at the very top end. If, you're, if your business is in that agricultural production space and you're hoping your yields, particularly not, not just crop yields in, in uh, terms of volume per acre, but in terms of price per, per, per kilo per tonne, uh, you know, it, it's a very, very, very long bet. It is wider, Mark's point, this is always traded inexpensively because it's always been a pretty mediocre business. Um, I generally prefer to buy quality businesses uh, rather than mediocre businesses at a good price and try I you know, hope maybe you get a revaluation win. That being said, there's a price, as I've said before, where stuff is just, when it's just too cheap, you kind of go, okay, well, if i got, if I got a basket of those, if i got a basket of these type of businesses at six, seven, eight times earnings uh, that aren't declining meaningfully, you'd probably do okay. Uh, whether this one's one of those, I don't know. Do I want to really divert some of my capital this one? Probably not. Uh, but to Mark's point, the fact that it is not only cheap, but also cheap historically, relative to where it's been in the past, does give you a, a decent probability of making some money from this one. Um, I wouldn't run away from it. I don't want to buy it. I I, I wish I did. Um, I should say one, one positive has come out of this business recently. The last few years of, of earnings growth have been really good. Yes. So if you wanted to take a bet and say, this looks like a growing business. This looks like an improving business. Maybe they've cracked the code. Maybe this is a new leaf. You can do that. You can look at the history too and say, we've been here before. What happened next was earnings yeah. fell. Uh, share price fell we're back in the drink and no pun intended and we're gonna try and get our way out of that again so yeah. is this a secular recovery or is it more cyclicality that the business has been known for in the past i wouldn't bet on it being a secular recovery <coughs> excuse me you might buy it and say well I, you know there is a chance of a secular recovery it's also typically cheap so again maybe the odds are for you it, it, <laughs> to, probabilistically is it likely to do well from here probably do I feel strong enough about it to have enough okay. conviction to say therefore buy it? No, I don't. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna right. try and I'm gonna hide in that grey area in between and say so it's a hole. It, 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 probabilistically you're probably gonna do okay. It's probably a hole, yeah. Okay. That's All probably right. fair. Full disclosure, the
1: bloke that's now running it is a mate of mine, so <laughs> <laughs> you it's very you,
0: funny you, you you see um,
1: actually bought some fairly yeah. recently. you've got to support your uh, mates. There he's, you go. Well, you be asking you, not us. He's ex-star ex- <laughs> entertainment back in yeah. the glory days and then ran, ran Parmalat, the big international dairy group right. uh, here. And is uh, he's a good marketer.
0: Yeah. All right. Mate, uh, if you can, can premiumise this the way that Treasury's been able to premiumise yes. their wines, then you are for yeah, the way. Yeah. So that's what I meant, the secular growth. If you can genuinely say... We create some brand and look. If you're, if, you're, if you're, that's that's who they want, right? Yeah. You don't want you don't want a great winemaker at the head. You want someone who can say, "Where yeah. do we find the premiumization here?" If they can find exactly it, right. Then yeah, absolutely. It's a yield a yield business um,
1: and a stock management business. Mm. He boils yep, it down to. Um, yep. All right. Uh, let's move on and Gene wants a view Scott on Babcorp one of our big automotive spare parts groups then mm. uh, auto barn Midas uh, ABS what do you think of Babcorp
0: I like Babcorp it's actually a recommend uh, buy recommendation of ours so let me get that up, out up front um, and tell you I think it is a buy it's not your classic great value buy it's trading at 17 odd times earnings and they've had some boardroom ructions the CEO Daryl who pretty much of put this business on the map and did a spectacularly great job running the company while he was there he's no longer there and that does leave a little bit of a concern around what is the you know what's the future direction how much of the secret sauce was daryl lobotomy how much is gone now he's left or has he created the business model that lets it thrive and a new management maybe even does even better so that is probably the big watch out for this business. It doesn't get much more stable than a business like BAPCOR and tends to actually do better in economic downturns rather than worse because people keep mm. their cars longer. That means more servicing, more repairs. That actually should be good for BAPCOR. At the very least, it should be largely acyclical. I wouldn't say it's necessarily countercyclical. But probably acyclical, maybe a little bit of counter-cyclicality if they do get that extension of, of average car life. There are continued concerns about the rise of electric vehicles, of course. Uh, how many moving parts do they need? I think. Uh, Tesla's got something like I, I know it's sort of 48 moving parts, something stupidly small um, because of the way their electric motors work compared to compared to the internal combustion engine. So there mm. are some are some risks on the horizon for Bapcor, but I think if you're looking for really well-run, stalwart businesses with pretty uh, robust economic characteristics that aren't particularly exposed to the cycle, Bapcor is it. Mm. 17 times earnings is probably about as much as I want to pay. If I get much more above that, a two in front of the PE probably means it's a hold. Uh, you might even get close to a sell <coughs> much above that as well, just on straight-out valuation grounds. Yep. It's not going to be a spectacularly fast grower. You don't want to overpay for it. It has got lots of growth potential here uh, in Asia, in New Zealand. So the, the game's not finished yet for Babcor. So it's a buy. We like it a lot. Um, just just keep an okay. eye on the price. Don't overpay for it. All right. Mark?
2: Uh, yeah, no, it looks pretty good. Uh, yep. It's It, it has uh, about 50-odd percent debt to equity, but it's probably reasonable for a company like that to be carrying some debt because they obviously have – a lot of stocks, yeah, and, yeah. and car parts are yeah. like fast-moving, fashion stuff. Sometimes you know they're good. You got to have the whole range. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. about. But anyway, having said that, I sort of agree with everything Scott said. Uh, it's in the green for the PE at sixteen point nine from from our point of view. And to get a ten percent return on a margin of safety, which for me in this current environment would be the minimum you'd look at, um, is you'd need to pay uh, no more than uh, five uh, sorry um, five dollars forty seven, right, which is about a dollar. Less than what it is now? Yep. That's on a margin of safety. On our default settings, we're showing showing it returning, um, uh, where was I lost it? Default, default, default. Uh, returning fourteen uh, point nine right. per per year going forward. So right. it's
1: actually, it looks pretty uh, at, good at, at this price. Yeah, the current price. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So
2: okay. And so I'm saying margin of safety. You want to pay a little bit less, but no, I, I would say it's a it's a solid performer. Um, it's it's been good at extracting earnings. I think the point Scott made about change of CEOs real. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the kind of business. If we were scoring it, we would say, uh, "Is this a, a, the kind of business that would likely be able to be run by any com- a competent management team?" Right. And I'd say yes. Right. So it's not okay. a particularly difficult business, yep. but that doesn't mean that the CEO doesn't have a material impact on on what happens. Sure. You know, Making des- decisions strategically and stuff. And I've seen good companies get blown up by a change of yep. uh, management. It's quite amazing what a a bad CEO can do.
1: Well, do a good business. Look at how the market's pulled away. Yes, from so I'll, 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 say, I'll say it's a buy. A uh, buy as well? Okay. A um, next stock um, up is New Farm. Uh, Mark and Earl want a view on this. I always find New Farm a really fascinating business. Global business. Yeah. Um, two areas. Um, they're basically a seed bank for agriculture uh, and also a... Um, uh, crop protection, Um, sort of pesticides, herbicides, that sort of thing, um, right around the
2: world. Um, Yeah, well, the financials are horrible. Right. Because it's, um been losing money. It used, it was making um, dough back in um, 2018, and then took a big swan dive in nineteen, which seems to be pre-COVID, right? So, because uh, COVID really, remember, it's backward looking for your accounts. Yes. So, and then from two twenty, they started coming up back up again. So, I'm not sure what happened there. Maybe Scott can enlighten us, but uh, something big happened. Yep. Uh, we're showing their uh, EPS growth rate average. At minus 19 over the last six years, largely because of that big drop in 220 and yep. poor, poor stability. Apart from that, it fails on all the measures. So it fails on stability, return on equity, return on capital. Um, all, 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 fail. Right. So there's no way I could project anything. In fact, our, our conscious investor says, P- "Warning: poor, oh. and poor and scarce data."
0: Oh. <laughs> in other
2: words, can't can't even make
1: it. Can't even make a guess. Ah. Oh, okay. All right uh scott do you want to try and make
0: a guess on it <laughs> <laughs> i will i will i will do my level best i'll get the are crystal you scared ball one. is that scary <laughs> <laughs> no not scary I, look mark mark is absolutely i think when you're looking at cyclical businesses you really have to take a view on what sort of investor you are what you're looking for and how you want to value that because to mark's point it's been remarkably volatile these earnings and so you kind of look at the last year's earnings are about average so at one at one level if you were to look back and say Okay, if Lush is roughly average and I pay about 15 times average earnings, that's not an overly demanding price. It's not overly attractive, but it's not overly demanding. Now, if you want stability, if you want you know permanently profitable, if you want non-volatile earnings, then you're absolutely not going to buy. And you shouldn't buy a New Farm and plenty of others besides because you're always going to have those problems. So, um, Mark's absolutely right from that perspective. That's the approach you're taking. I'm not particularly a cyclicals investor, as you guys well know and your viewers well hmm. know. Um, I just you know I think you want if you do it, you want. Here's the thing: if you do it, you want to do it when the market is really pessimistic. So you wanna look through the history and say, right, the average earnings is this. When I get a multiple and a price that suggests I'm getting a discount based on a decent multiple to those average earnings, then I'm gonna jump in. And so you wanna be really, in my view at least anyway, you wanna be really opportunistic with cyclical businesses. There's a time to buy them a the time to sell them. And it's not the sort of investing I tend to practice. I'm a long-term investor. I wanna buy great businesses, let them be great businesses for a long time, let them compound over time and pay me back. That, that's kind of what I'm looking for generally. If you're more opportunistic, New farm is one you absolutely should be looking at because it's a it's a very good business, generally speaking, in a very, very cyclical, volatile industry. It's like commodities, and effectively this is a commodity business fundamentally. Yeah. Um, you're simply saying, what is the global price for it? Is it being well run as an operation? What am I getting for it? How much am I paying for it? And again, over the cycle, how attractive is that? The losses that Mark's talked about, or the, the lower profit years, when the market's really pessimistic, when everyone's looking back and going, Oh, look at the declines. That's probably exactly the time to buy it. I don't think it's now. Um, again, 15, 16, 16 times earnings um, for this business. Not, it's not a terrible price to pay as long as that cyclical average holds, and it probably will. So I, you know, it's not terrible if I owned it. I probably own it because I know it's cyclical. I'm probably happy with it being cyclical. I probably like the broad kind of story of increased reliance on seeds, fertilizers, herbicides, that's probably a good thing for me. That's probably what I want. So, you know, I don't have any problems with anyone doing that if that's what they're looking for. I wouldn't buy it now. I don't think the price is attractive enough right. to really, particularly because of that cyclicality, you almost want a discount because of the inherent uncertainty, right? Maybe this is average. Maybe the future's worse than the past because it's cyclical. You'll never know for sure. You've got to hope that it bounces back. At some point, if a cyclical decline becomes a structural or secular decline, then all of a sudden you realize you're overpaid probably yeah. massively. I don't think this is the case for this business. But again, you want the discount because of the uncertainty. So I like it as a company. I think as an investor, if you own it, I'd be holding it about now. Um, I think you know. Again, you want you want to buy. You got to have a cast iron stomach for it. If you're buying cyclicals, you want to buy when everyone else is pessimistic about it, and yep. you think the cycle is likely to continue. And okay. that's not today. So a, a straight, very solid down the fairway hold. Definitely not a buy. I wouldn't sell it if you already owned it because you probably own it, knowing what it is. Yep.
1: Okay. All right. Let's recap the uh, first five stock stock of the day. Intec Pivot, a hold from both Scott and Mark. Fertiles, a no. Uh, APM, uh, a hold from Scott and no from Mark. Same with Australian Vintage. Bad Corp, a buy from both. And New Farm, a hold from Scott and a no from Mark. Uh, Here on the call, we've been tracking our own high conviction fantasy fund, as uh, picked by the Investment Committee. Uh, The most recent episode of the committee is live on the platform, Auschwitz.com. Going into March, uh, the committee got out of Seven Group and Janison Education, they trimmed Mineral Resources, added MA Financial and Austell. Uh, were added to the portfolio. Was that an intake of breath, yes. Mark Morland? Yes. Uh, over. So what did they trim minute? Do you know uh, what the price was? It was about 82.
2: Yeah, so they've waited for it to come off and then they trim it? Uh,
1: yes. <laughs> well, see, that'll teach you for not being at the investment committee. Uh, in the last year, the fund is up 4.5%. Keep sending the uh, requests into uh into the call because that's the first level of uh, the filter guy up the investment committee as badcorp will get suggested around the cmc pro accounts at our website uh this half hour we take a look at iris johns ling viva energy apollo tourism and corporate travel um lisa what's a view scott on iris the the big financial data group
0: and koshi this is a business that is a really um fundamental part of most financial services companies iris provides the software that allows Analysts like us to look at the data on the stock market, including a whole lot of other things. Commodities, we use it. We as a competitor product, but same, same kind of idea. Local, international companies, commodities, currencies, all that kind of stuff. It is a, you know, Bloomberg uh, is another competitor, probably a, a different class above, but the same kind of idea. This is a business that has done a really good job of getting to where it is. My criticism of it is it's not then growing from there. In fact, if you look at profits over the past 10 years, they've been very, very, very stable. Now, stable can be good if that's kind of what you're looking for. But I mean stable, in stabilizing have gone almost nowhere. In fact, earnings last year are about the same as they were in 2015. They've fluctuated right. above and below that. Last year's earnings probably the second or third best in that 10-year period. Uh, but it's been pretty flat right through that that kind of journey. Now that's fine. Are uh, always pretty good, about 15 or 18 times over most of that period. The last couple of years, with the exception. So you know, it's not a terrible business. In fact, it's a very stable. If you own this business for cash. You'd probably be pretty happy with what it does. Yep. My my concern is you're paying at the moment, even after a share price fall this year, 20 times those earnings for a business that's pretty much just dead flat. And I think mm. this is one of those companies that the market got a little bit carried away with. Um, it probably got a bit dinged by, well, got probably got uh, they probably got inflated uh, by being considered a tech or textile tech company, software as a service, all that good stuff. And then probably on the way back, it's been dinged on the way back down. But it's still 20 times earnings. I'm just not entirely sure why you'd pay that price for a business that's not growing, not growing okay. meaningfully. If you want to make an argument, you say, well, that's growing on this time last year, uh, earnings 40 cents last time, 34 the time before. You do that math, say, wow, that's almost a 20% growth. Uh, maybe I'm jumping back on. This is the thing about historical numbers. You can make them look at whatever you want to look like. I just said, you know, profit down on 2015, it's also up 20% on last year. So which is right, which is wrong? You can make up your own call. Over time, there is no sign to my eyes <laughs> based on the numbers. That there is a structural ongoing growth opportunity here, right. they should be able to uh, potentially. Um, big risk for these guys, by the way, is that the financial community is shrinking, despite the fact that Mark and I hang around like bad smells. Uh, there are fewer and fewer analysts every year, generally speaking. So yep. the, the the industry is consolidating. And therefore, there's fewer what they call seats, fewer individual licenses. That's a massive headwind for these sorts of businesses. Iris hasn't been able to to break those shackles. So now I I would sell it if I owned it. I simply don't want to pay twenty times earnings for a. Relatively flat business. If I'm wrong, because sales and profits keep growing, you get a chance to buy back in at some other point. But too okay. expensive based on the growth it's delivering. Yeah,
1: even though share price is five-year low market. Yeah, but it's been over. It's chart. been overpriced
2: for years. Right. It's okay. a little bit like ASX was similar. You know, I put yeah. the two in the same category because both of them had little growth. Yep. In fact, IRI, uh, I, IRI, not IRI, IRIS, yeah. we, I'm showing 0.1% average growth over the last six years. Right. Which is no growth. Yep. That's completely yep. flat. In fact, it's worse than no growth. It's below inflation. Yep. So it's negative growth. Yep. Sales have been growing at 5.7 with very high stability. So this is, as Scott said, a very stable business. It has, I believe it's got very strong moats. Yep. You know, they're, obviously the clients mm. are sticky. Once you're using one of these platforms, you don't quickly change to something else. It's, yeah. Would you agree, Scott? Is that your experience?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so yeah no, definitely. So definitely
2: it's home. got good moats. But I don't understand why the market wants to pay so much money for them, because that 20, uh, one, uh, P E ratio at the moment is at the bottom of the green, right? So that's the cheapest it's been for a very long time But it's still way too expensive. Right. So we're showing the consequential return from that at 11% a year on default and 0.7% Per year on a margin of safety. Remember I want 10 on a margin yes. of safety yeah, yeah. And that assumes a terminal P of the similar level, right? Yeah, and okay. I think with the way with interest rates coming on now unless they ev- Evaporate yep. and we go into a some sort of four or five percent ongoing uh, world all of these uh, <laughs> companies that have unrealistic P ratios will come down, right? Because it's not okay. r- rational. Yep. If I can get four or five percent on for cash, why would I be paying twenty-one times earnings to get uh, a, to get a dividend payment of five point three? Yeah. And then, of course, what will happen is the company won't change. Uh, the valuation will come down, so right. the P will come down to ten or something or nine. Right. It really should be single digits, okay, based on its earnings. Okay.
1: All right.
2: So too excited from I'd both sell. of you at the moment. If I had it, I'd sell it.
1: All right. Uh, Next stock, Harold wants a view, Mark, on John's Link. This is a uh, property construction business, but not like others. It mainly does rectifications for for insurance companies and the like, and yeah. when there's a big flood and insurance companies come in and say, Yep, we're going to fix your place. Yeah. What I didn't know was uh,
2: that's who Howard
1: used when uh, he, yes. he drove his
2: car, his Mercedes, through the wall of his garage and yes. dropped it down two levels onto the tennis court. Yes.
1: Mark's parlor. You know what
2: the insult to injury was? That was a Mercedes. He didn't get a scratch. Yeah. The tree went through the window. Like, it he, he, he was so close to being impaled. And what did he
1: do? He buys a Volvo. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But Howard Coleman from TV Invest says, and Johns Ling did the rectification on his property and said they were terrific. Yeah. So, I'd never heard of them until then. No, no. Yeah. Does it make them a good investment? No.
2: Right. Uh, and the, re- the reason is... Uh, well, okay. Let's have a look at it. Its their earnings have been growing at 23% with 88% stability. That's good, and, oh, that's and sales good. are growing at 27 as well. So that's good. So there's nothing wrong with the earnings yeah. and sales chart. Return on equity and return on capital have, have been good, but at the moment they're down below 10. But that's that's just been a recent occurrence, um, and the P is 40 which is in the green, which means they've been running on very high peers. And in fact, to get into the red, it's above 57. Right. So that's wow. a very high peer. At least it's got decent earnings though, to yep. to, uh, to support that to a degree. So from our point of view, the consistent return on equity, it has been up until COVID. So you might you might give them a pass on that. Yep. Uh, it seems to be a well-run business. All the other ratios look pretty good. So okay. uh, I'd have to say uh, it's probably, by, depending on what I don't know it well, though, so let's
1: see what Scott says. All right, talk, talk to Howard. Um, Scott, <laughs> uh, Scott, um, a few of the panel in the past with this have said they pair Jongs Ling with a QBE or an IAG. Um, okay. <laughs> that it's also if the if the insurance company buggers it up, yeah, right. uh, Is that,
0: they're is that like be,
1: swinging? Is that yeah, swinging? Yeah. Is that Well, uh, John's Ling will be a beneficiary of it if they're paying Correct. too much. Sort of thing.
0: Correct. No, I I don't mind that idea actually because you're right. If the insurance companies are paying out, they're paying out to John's Ling. Yes. Uh, maybe maybe it's a wash though, right? If you pair those two, what you're really saying is sometimes well, you will lose yes. on one and win on the other, and vice versa. But you're right. Yeah. It, it it absolutely is that. That's exactly the flow we're we're looking at. Um. I don't have any colleagues to throw under the bus like Mark, so I'll have to, I'll have to know how we're <laughs> coming up with Mark after the, after the program. Uh, but, well, it's a week of colleagues. Uh, a couple of guys in the field really do like John's link, And I think Mark's highlighted really nicely where this business is at. It's a really expensive business on a, on a PE. And you think a construction business, a, a building business at 30-plus at times, who, 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 who the hell pays that? Yes. It's a, right? It's a very, very reasonable question. The The answer would be, and I've said this before, what John's Ling is doing a really, really nice job of is they are taking an opportunity in a really super established, super stable insurance, you know, particularly uh, residential reconstruction. It's not new in the slightest, right? It's been around forever. What John's Ling have done have basically found themselves a value proposition for the insurers. More and more of this stuff is being outsourced. Um, I, I said last time we spoke about this, uh, I'm still waiting for my repairs from February floods. Uh, the updated news, by the way, is NRMA said, yeah, we can't even get anyone to look at your carpets to quote for the repairs. Not, not wow. that they, they can't get someone to do the repairs. They said, look, here's our, here's the people who do it for us. They can't give us an ETA. We'll let you know when we know, right? This is, what, wow. 10 months, four months after the event. So it's really, really busy. So channeling should do well there. My point, though, is that the, the, the insurers, they're increasingly, the brand is almost on, the only thing they do, right? The, 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 the reinsurance gets done at one level. Of course, they're supposed to reserve properly, and they will. Uh, but they don't really manage the repairs. They outsource the management of the repairs to someone else and the, out- the repair manager outsources that to somebody else. Yeah. But Johnson they have done a great job of getting in the value chain and saying, hey, let us be this party for you. The more, it's not, they're not growing in line with the amount of reconstruction being done at all. They're taking gobbling up massive amounts of yeah. share by saying to the likes of IAG and QBE, let us be your people on the ground We'll do it all for you. We'll sort it out. We'll make sure it gets done. And they thinking, oh, thank goodness, because really what we just do is you know, market and, re- and ensure. We don't do the management of stuff. So I love what they've done to find a niche in a very well-established market, and kind of disrupt it. And it's being done really nicely. Now, I don't have a really strong view about how long they can keep growing for And A PE of 40, you've got to keep growing at really good rates for a really long time to justify that. And in this mm-hmm. sort of industry, like software that's at the birth of the internet or something where you're reinventing the industry, you're just trying to really get in there and, and take a larger and larger share over time. I think they're probably going to. So I'm kind of with Mark. I, I want to hold my nose and say it's a buy. Um, I'll say it's a cautious buy just to, to hedge my bets here because I don't really have a strong view of how long they can continue to grow for and take that share before the insurers or something else says, okay, we're done, guys. This is your new steady state. Now, if they hit steady state next year or the year after, then we are going to have overpaid by probably, you know, double. So, yeah. got, you've got to be really, really careful of that, but they're making every post a winner, they're doing a nice job, profits are growing, they're performing a really nice service, the insurers like them being there and like what they're doing, and the market is so enormous. I think you'd back them until you saw signs of, of yeah. decline. Now, that that last year number Mark talks about might actually be it, so I probably have more cautious than I would have been this time last year, yeah. except the share prices has fallen so yeah a cautious buy for me based on what some yeah. of the guys in the office think and just based on the the opportunity i think before it um, if it does it well it should be able to pay shareholders nicely for the effort yeah
1: and and some would say um, they are beneficiary of climate change. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. With floods what, and we, we, bushfires. We, 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 when, and...
2: when I was at Berkshire's AGM last year, we, we spoke to the CEOs of some of his insurance divisions. Yep. We, had a, we had a powwow with it, it was great, and we asked that question: like, Are they seeing climate change coming into the? And they said no. Oh, yeah. They said, the bottom line is, you know, all the rhetoric is, but they said they're not seeing any significant. There's no increase in
1: storms. You know, they, they, everyone seems to think there is. But we have recent. Well, we, se- we, se- we seem to have a one in a one hundred year storm. Yeah, but every they, we always used every to every other year. I
2: know. Anyway, that's what they said. They said right. that they're not the the claims. They're not saying they're not discounting it. Saying that there won't be an right. issue. They're just right. saying so far the beat so up, up of it is nothing like the reality. No. Yeah. No, and they, oh, they, they and remember what Ber- Berkshire does? They do a lot of reinsurance for catastrophe. Yeah. Uh, for hmm. yeah, catastrophe claims. Right. Yeah, which okay. is billions, and you know they start. Yeah, after $5 that's right. so they start paying. Okay. So, you know, they, they, they should know.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting yeah. feedback. All right. Uh, Scott, Heather wants a view on Viva it's Energy, good. the uh, uh, sort of a big uh, petrol supplier to, uh, they took over Shells, uh, providing yeah. fuel to there. They provide fuel um to what is it, 1155 locations, service stations, and yeah. 50% mm-hmm. of Liberty, but they don't own the properties. They hired those off yeah. into the Viva Energy REIT, didn't they? Mm-hmm. So this is purely Viva Energy that Heather wants a view on.
0: It's the refining and distribution business, yep. koshi and this should be ideally, if things were working properly, a low margin, hyper competitive. Uh, you're reselling, again, I'm talking about commodities a lot. In this case, the refined product is a commodity. I don't know if you know who supplies your local petrol station mm. or the one you used last time. Do we care that it's Viva? Probably not. Uh, so, you know, it should be an absolute commodity business. It should be a business that simply says, well, I'll take whatever price I buy at, I'll refine it. In a competitive market, I'll sell it for as much as I can, but that, that profit margin will be kept down by everyone else doing the same thing and I might get some sort of return on capital plus a couple of percentage points. That should be the business that you look at when you see Viva. The financials tell a very, very different story, which is that there is a very significant um, margin being made. Of course, we know the federal government's actually thrown in some money to keep refiners happening and operating in Australia. So it's, a, it's an interesting one where... Competition has ended up with again, un- un- very common in Australia, another oligopoly. Uh, Viva operating the Geelong refinery, of course, yep. where you know you've kind of got a bit of an oligopoly per, uh, supply, and that's really helped Viva's margins. You can see it in their financials; they've done really, really well. That being said, the market still believes this is not sustainable because the P is only nine times earning, and I would say you know that's probably too cheap if profits weren't absolutely through the roof. In fact, if you look at the profits of the last uh, year or so. Um, last year, they made 33 cents a share. The year before that, 18. The year before they lost eight cents, the year before was seven. So I figured they had a five-fold increase in earnings over four years, and one of those years in between was a loss-making year. You're a very, very brave person if you think that's a new sustainable level of operating earnings. The market doesn't believe it. That's why the PE is in single digits. Mm. I think the market's probably right. If you're gonna take risks on commodity players, you don't do it when the profit's at a record high, even if the PE looks pretty low. Um, If they can sustain that oligopoly positioning and and, and basically be able to on charge oligopoly-like margins because there's simply not enough competition, it's not working well enough, then maybe these profits are sustainable. But betting on that is probably too rich for my blood. Um, At a lower price, maybe. I don't love this sort of business. There's no pricing power. There's no competitive advantage. There's no brand. The only competitive advantage you've got, as I said, is that oligopoly positioning now if the government lets that continue and pays them for it then maybe there's an income stream it's almost permanent rent seeking right Uh, but if if that continues maybe maybe it's okay but no the profits are very nicely higher which is lovely operationally well done Viva but I don't want to buy them because I'm not convinced they can stay there no?
2: Uh, yes. The, source, the stability is the biggest problem. It's been all over the shop. So uh, we, we always look for uh, six years with 80% or better if we want to use that as a forecast for the future. Right. So if a company's got really stable earnings like a T&E or something, yep. which is 98%, yep. you know, then obviously you look at it you go, well, it's done that for 20 years. Is it likely to do it for another five years? And the answer is yeah, yes. good chance. And then yep. you go back from that. And then you go to companies like this, which have you know literally it's gone up, down, up. And then, as Scott said, the, the fact that they're getting government subsidies at the moment, you know, you'd have to discount that because you know is that going to keep going? Who knows? You, yeah. you don't. You don't want to be investing in businesses that are reliant on uh, government jest. Yep. Because it's, yeah, it stopped yep. at, at some point. So I, I wouldn't do that. It's it's it's. Um, I think Scott summed it up really well. Um, it's actually paying nine point seven percent yield on the last year, but that's. Only because their earnings were right up. So there's not, that doesn't mean you'll get that next year or the year yeah, after. So, yeah. too hard. Okay. For me. All
1: right. Uh, uh, NIDA, Mark wants a view on Apollo tourism. Uh, yes, they are the camper van people that you see <laughs> driving around. Uh, motorhomes, camper vans, caravans here, United States, New Zealand, in Europe as well. Just did a, um, did they do uh, Australian tourism, a similar one? They, Is that the right code? I, I'm not showing it.
0: ATL, uh, was that the code? ATL, yep. ATL. ATL. Apollo 2 so, I might I might oh. be able to jump in here, gentlemen. Have they yep. changed name here?
1: after the merger.
0: Yeah, they've been they've been taken over. So right. um, they they were they were bought by a, a mob called Tourism Hospitality. Tourism right. Hospitality. Tourism Holdings. Sorry, T H L is the code there. Right. Uh, a New Zealand based business, also listed on the ASX. They've done a they've done a pretty good job of. Uh, combining what are otherwise really disparate businesses. It's a company that, uh, so let's go back to Apollo for a second. Is it did really poorly somehow during COVID, when, when caravan sales were booming, when domestic tourism was, I won't say exactly booming because there were plenty of lockdowns in between, but there were, this should have been a business that was doing really, really nicely for a really long period of time. It just didn't. And so I think Tourism Holding saw the opportunity said, you know what, we'll we'll have yeah. that, thank you very much. Tourism Holdings now. I think that I want to say they're the world's largest. I think that's right. Um, owner and operator of, of uh, RV rentals, uh, which is which is saying something. Australia loves loves its grey nomads and tourists love to come here and 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 kind of drive their way around the country, which is great for us. Um, so Tourism Holdings, it's a really difficult one to analyse, guys, because the addition of five months of Apollo earnings to Tourism's full year estimate for this year is about a third of Tourism Holdings' total profit expectation. Now, that so let's go back, five months of Apollo is a third of the total. Effectively, they bought something that's almost exactly the same size yes. as itself. And that to me is a, is a if they get it right, it's gonna have been a fantastic deal. If you can, if you can acquire a business at a good price at the same size as you, you double yourself overnight, you double your earnings overnight, you probably get some scale out of it, maybe this is the lease of life. The old air quotes, company changing acquisition, uh, this is exactly what this is. On the flip side, if you're buying, or if you're a shareholder in a company that's buying a business as big as itself and hoping that everything goes well, there's no skeletons in the closet. This is value-creative. That's a really difficult case, I think, to necessarily believe in. So I'm squarely uh, sitting on the sidelines here. It should be a business that, that is going to continue to go gangbusters. Uh, international tourism is returning. Australians continue to love traveling, the gray nomad thing's not going anywhere anytime soon. You would you would believe thematically, this should be the business to buy. Apollo was disappointing. Yep. I don't know tourism holding particularly well, but as I said, I'm gonna take a straight out pass on this one. Uh, if I owned it, I'd probably sell it because of the uncertainty, <clears throat> honestly. Um, when you acquire something as big as yourself, I defy anybody to know what comes right. next. So okay. maybe, maybe you like and know management, maybe you like and know the fundamental business, maybe you want to hold it, own it, carry it through, um, it's one you've got to do this on faith there is there's no way in my view to analyze mm. the fundamentals of two similar sized businesses and say you know what's happening next yep. uh it's not super expensive on a pe basis uh, i think on a pro forma it's something like 17 times earnings. i'm i'm stretching for this one guys i gotta say um <clears throat> it might be a little bit high it might be 20 times earnings. so it's not cheap it, you're buying two businesses jammed together hoping they can make it work maybe they can i'm not saying it can't be done but if this is a straight mm. out too hard basket if only I'd sell and, and come back when we, whether dust settle.
2: Yep, uh. Uh, I totally agree uh, with Scott, too hard, and yep. you wait and see what they do. I think the point Scott made about the buying two, buying another business the same size as yours, it is more likely to be bad news than good news because right. the management challenges and then who stays, who goes and who's in control yep. and cultural Congestion fit problems. is a big one. From my experience, I don't, I've never seen one of those work out well in the short term, they take yep. time at the very least if they're yeah. not a, dis- a lot of disaster. Okay. You think um, uh, recently even with Reese, you know, Reese was a highly high quality business in the plumbing and they bought yeah. into the US. Uh, the, fam- the Wilson family put in 400 million of their own money so they're all in. Yeah. Similar thing, similar situation. Business, same size. And what's happened at the moment, the return on equities come down to what the US was, not the other way around, it was right. in. But okay. I'm not saying they won't mm. fix it. Yeah, it's yeah. already been three years, confused by COVID, but okay.
1: why would you do it? So it's got you, you, you wait. Scott saying... You'd wait and see. Wait and see how the dust yeah. settles. Uh, final stock, corporate travel. Uh-huh. Mark, yeah. in, the, uh, in the travel industry, Dan uh-huh. wants a view on that. Okay. I'm a shareholder, so uh, I'll,
2: I'll flag that. So I'm, I'm positively predisposed to, to corporate travel. Yeah.
1: Um, I did
2: sell it before COVID and then bought it back. Right. My big mistake was that I didn't buy, I didn't put it all back in. <laughs> so, and then i thought it'd get cheaper i bought some at 540. right okay yeah i was really lucky right right near the bottom yeah, and then yeah. and then of course it bounced back to about 20 dollars or something yeah really fast while i yep. sat on the rest of my cash right thinking okay. that uh you know it would go back down but obviously it didn't anyway uh quality business uh we've like we've been a wealth winner for us for a uh, a very very long time at the moment it sort of stuffs up all our models because of the COVID lockdowns i mean they shut down completely yes. so yep. virtually say with flight center and Corporate Travel, their businesses stopped yep. uh, completely. And they've re-engineered the Oh yeah, and now what Corporate Travel did is they were in a stronger position than Flight Centre, which we always thought that anyway. And the reason was Flight Centre had a, a very large retail position with millions of leases and Corporate Travel didn't have that. Yep. Um, and they had no debt at all. Flight Centre didn't either at that point. And basically what corporate travel did during uh, COVID is they didn't need to raise any money. You know, they they buttoned the hatches down straight away and they were fine. However, they bought made two acquisitions in the US, big ones of companies they knew really well, Bolt-On, that fit uh, extending their geographic reach. So really intelligent acquisitions. And yeah. they've been working with these companies for years. Uh, who got got into trouble with COVID and then they did a capital raising so they raised I think 30% so it was a fair bit so the shares outstanding are greater so the business coming out of COVID should be twice what it was Mm. when we go in and if you look at the uh, history of it this is where this is one you can't I can't just look at the numbers and say this is the answer you've got to actually massage it a bit because Uh, if you if you agree with me, we're, I'm taking COVID out as being an anomaly. Yep. Nothing to do with them. Yep. They've managed it well, yep. and, and they small, will get been. back to where it was prior. However, they'll be twice as big. Yep. So I think it's cheap, and
1: it's a, it's a buy. Okay. Yep. Scott?
0: Uh, I'm inclined to say what Mark said. I, too, have been a long-term shareholder. I've had it since I think, 2013. It's been a long-term recommendation of ours as well. Um, this is a really well-run business, a very high-quality company. As Mark said, if you can get through being shut down and not have to raise capital, you know, the old lazy balance sheet in the good times becomes Fort Knox in the bad times. Uh, Corporate travel did a wonderful job doing that. The growth will continue, I think. They're still a relatively small player in the overall travel industry, one of the biggest, but it's a very, very fragmented industry. The company said they'll be 30% larger profit-wise when they get back to full capacity than they were in 2019. Uh, That puts on a P of, I think, 15 times earnings, something like that for a growing company. Um, you're right. As Mark said, you can't, you can't use any of the models, any of the numbers and say it's there for, I mean, it's currently 38 times earnings or something, but this is a business that's getting back on its feet. Uh, you want to be looking for long-term earnings power as always. Um, I reckon this is one of the best run businesses. It's had its fair share of media scrutiny. Uh, it's yeah. got through that continually. It's made more acquisitions when others are raising capital and closing down it is we've said so many times it's in recessions uh, or downturns covid obviously a very strange one but it's in downturns where the strongest business come strong strongest businesses come out stronger if i can spit that out uh and the weaker ones tend to tend to suffer and we saw webjet and the flight center dilute meaningfully massively i think it's probably fair to say uh corporate travel keeps its cash spare actually makes acquisitions coming out there's a much stronger position i think mm. moving forward so like it a lot big long-term shareholder, uh, long-term fan of, of what jamie ferris the ceo is doing yeah. uh, it's a buy for me it's, it's been a, for a long time terrific
1: yep. okay all right let's recap the final five stocks uh, iris a sell from both johnsling Ling, uh, buy from mark cautious buy from uh, from scott Vivra no from both um um tourism Whatever it's called now, the Apollo tourism, a no from both (laughs) and corporate travel, a buy from both. Um, Scott, great to have you on board. Um, Always fun. Thanks, Scotty. from Motley Fool. Good to see you, mate. And Mark Moulin from Team Invest. Fabulous. Good good to see you both. Enjoy the rest of your week. If you've got any stocks you uh, want us to uh, cover here for me to put to our our panel, uh, email the call at today or tweet us using the at osbiz.tv handle. More of Osbiz coming up after this. Stand by for The Pulse.